0: Welcome everyone to Science Society, and a special welcome to um, both of you, uh, Zoltan and Sandra, and before we start, um, let me give the audience of, you know, very briefly um, where you're working. Uh, So, uh, Professor Zoltan Nadasi is uh, Associate Professor at the institute of psychology and um, a lecture at the department of cognitive psychology and the head of the research group of human electrophysiology research group um at the now i'm not sure i'm going to say the name right of the university at the earth uh laurent university um, that's fine (laughs) Wait in budapest (laughs) and um and Sandra um, Sojic, uh she is in um, Professor Zoltan's lab. So welcome both of you. And usually we start by interviewing our speakers so we get to know um, the two of you a little bit better, if that's OK with you.
1: Absolutely.
2: Of Perfect. course, of
0: course. Yeah, thank you. So um, how did? Did you and you know whoever would like to start first discover um, this interest for um, doing research and, and and how did you get to um, into this career or into this field? Was it something you always wanted to do kind of a childhood dream or was it something that came later through an experience, maybe a great class uh, or some family members that supported you. Thank you so much.
1: Well, uh, thank you, Katrina, for the kind invitation. And uh, it's really a pleasure to be here and uh, talking to all of you. So I'm looking forward to get your questions. Uh, briefly about myself. Yeah, I am I actually live a, a, a double parallel life. So one, one of my life is in uh, in budapest uh, uh, part of the atush university as katrina said and my other half life is in austin texas where i'm also uh, part of the faculty of of psychology and i mostly do neuroscience research there and so there's this uh, uh i have i have a dual interest one is the cognitive or cognition uh, the development of con- cognition and as well as human electrophysiology but uh, today we mostly going to talk about the the psychology of time time perception and yeah in, in in terms of inspiration i i i will be short it's a long story but i just want to cut it short there's you know, all of us or most of us are inspired by somebody, uh, or or a few people. My I blame my inspiration. I blame one person. It's Leonardo da Vinci, who had a tremendous influence on me, especially in adolescent time. I was uh, I was uh, I was totally preparing my career for to be a painter. I went to art school, I pursued art. I took it very serious. And, um, and I studied uh, Da Vinci's uh, work and I, I just wanted to be a better painter. And that took me to a little bit of uh, like side project of studying a little bit vision. How do we see, how do we perceive the world around us? And that took more than just, you know, a little, uh, side project because everywhere I went, I listened talks and talked to professors. Uh, I, I realized that nobody is taking me seriously unless I am committed to that, that field. So I actually put uh, painting to the side uh, for a while and I studied. I went to the university and I started studying psychology. And I realized that you cannot really pursue that kind of life that that da Vinci uh, you know in, impersonates. It's uh, it's impossible today to have to excel in art and science and all the field in music. Um, so I had to I had to take <laughs> I had to commit. Is something and prioritize and that's uh you know once you study or you became part of the academic community you have projects you have thesis to write you have all these uh milestones then that leaves no time for anything else so i got stuck in science <laughs> sorry that's that was the longer story that i i planned to to tell but that's that's basically all these questions about vision how do we see and memory that that really got me into psychology and later on to the neuronal basis of all these functions so i i consider myself as a neuroscientist today all right that's enough for me um sandra
3: <laughs> yes i'm here hopefully you can hear me uh, hello, Katarina, and, and greetings to your audience as well. And of course, thank you for inviting us. It's such a pleasure to be here. So my story, it's not so different from Professor Nadezhye. I didn't know that we had so much in common, but uh, I will just give a very brief introduction. So uh, my name is Sandra Stoich, and uh, I did my PhD. Actually, I'm in my last year of PhD studies. Uh, at Otvar University in Budapest, and Professor Nadeždi is my supervisor. And I didn't lead this parallel life, however, I was traveling back and forth from my home country and Budapest, so kind of a, I can relate to his uh, situation. And by the nationality, I'm a Croatian, so maybe you can tell by my accent or by, by my name. Uh, Why I I was drawn to psychology? Well, first of all, I think that's a great question. And I can say that I was always interested to know how things work. And I had so many questions, probably my parents hated me at that time. But uh, I think that um, I can kind of pinpoint uh, one event that led me into this direction. Uh, When I was in high school, my parents fulfilled my long-term dream and probably my biggest childhood I wish, and they allowed me to have a dog. So at that time, I was so curious and willing to read every book possible and available because I was so keen to provide him like with the best uh, doghood or childhood, if, if that's even the word. So I read most of the things that they were available to me at that time. And of course, most of those books, they were coming from the field of psychology. So even though at that time I was officially trained to become a concert pianist, meaning that I went to gymnasium in the morning and to the music school in the evening. Just right before the admission exam, I kind of uh, changed my mind and I submitted my documents to the Faculty of Humanities and Social Science. So that was kind of a my path and i don't know what future holds but i haven't regret my decision at least not not yet and i also find interesting many overlapping areas such as biology and neuroscience of course but for instance i was never attracted to psychotherapy and i think it's such a shame that many people are misinformed at least where from i'm coming because whenever someone mentions psychology, they always instantly think of psychotherapy and psychology is much more than that. So that was my kind of a pet in a very short and brief version.
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing both of your stories. Uh, I wanted to uh, welcome Dr. Roshanak. Uh, I think you Zoli. know each other, so welcome.
2: So who, who is this,
1: sorry?
3: It's Ro, it's Ro-Shanak, do you remember? Oh,
0: Ro, oh
1: my so God. How are you? Yeah, we haven't been.
0: We haven't talked
3: oh, in forever. I haven't seen you so
1: long, yeah. yeah. Well,
0: Zoli, well thanks for being
1: nice here. For I uh, Yeah, we, we should ro- connect after this.
4: Absolutely, I'm running my own room and Katerina had pinged me in and I did a double take on the name and I went, oh my God, that's a... For <laughs> all of you who are in this room, I've known this man for decades. He is one of the smartest people I have ever, ever ever bet the guy's a genius you're okay. so lucky to have him here
3: <laughs> Honest to God.
1: okay okay well so um, to um, yeah here, i'm Judy. not sure i will live up for that expectation
0: you can't okay, argue but, yeah. <laughs> well thank you for that and um yeah it's so nice to see that friends uh we meet here um that's wonderful and yeah, thank you for sharing those stories, it's really interesting that actually quite a lot of speakers we have, they kind of have this, had this life in art and science and then kind of um, kind of decided some people keep, you know, doing it hobby-wise, but it it's really interesting and it shows kind of that, you know, the sort of creativity and interests and challenges are probably very similar um we just in modern times kind of separated fields in a very artificial way would you agree on that
1: yeah absolutely yeah it's um well i I've, I've been struggling to to you know fulfill all my uh, my desires in uh, in this field and it's as everything is getting uh, you know increasingly professionally streamlined and bureaucratic it is really difficult to 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 get, to carve out that the time and the the part of the field of research that really uh, uh, enjoyable or or make us uh, able to enjoy it so it's it's uh, that's my constant uh struggle to maximize the time where where I can do what I really enjoy and minimize the time that I, that uh, I'm tired and, and bored with it.
0: Yeah, I think that for me, it's the same thing, and I struggle. I just do I just do things, although they are not probably good for my career my future. But the thing is, if you want to you know get a lot of grants and make a career in a specific way, It's almost impossible to do anything else. But I don't really understand, because, you know, also from NIH perspective, you know, grants, places, you know, the future needs more creative, interconnected thinkers, and our lifespan, where we are still able to work, just increases. I think we have to change the model that you have to be in one field only, I think, for you know to adapt to our system to humans we have to kind of change that because who wants to be 60 years just working on the same problem that's ridiculous (laughs) i think so i think hopefully in the future this will change
1: yeah i agree i'm i'm in a constant battle with myself and, and arguing back and forth uh whether I should have, uh, you know, committed my life on just one topic, and I would be much more ahead in my career than, uh, you know, I would have uh, two hundred publications, and uh, and instead I've I have, I have uh, let's say fifty publications, but all those publications I hundred percent stand for, and uh, and uh, um, yeah, not a line that I would change. Uh, so, so yeah, it's there is no recipe, you know. I can't really give people uh, uh, a model or a template what to follow. It's uh, it's really it's probably a large individual difference is how much one can take uh, from uh, from uh, uh, things that that he or she doesn't like. Uh, uh as a as a profession or uh or to pursue uh, something you know i just i just never wanted to pursue somebody else's desires and life so that's and that that uh many times it's actually an obstacle in your career if you are uh pursuing your own personal goals
0: yeah and um the second question really quick i know we've been going <laughs> a little bit but it's a very interesting free discussion already so the <laughs> like how did this uh, project come about um was it some you know was there some struggle was it really you know also easy to get funding for mm-hmm. is, is there some kind of backstory um uh,
1: yeah there is and thanks 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 for uh <laughs> resetting the conversation and just remind me for time and the topic yeah which unfortunately we have limited uh time and it's it's so so since the topic is time was um it um you know time is something that we we all uh are you, you we can be neutral to it this this topics you know all everybody can relate to because it's such a pervasive uh, concept. It really uh, transcends our life and everything uh, uh, revolves around the concept of time. So I get, I get interested in this question uh, quite early on, and it was uh, uh, a kind of interesting story that this this question of how do we perceive time goes back to uh, my uh, undergraduate college years when I was studying psychology in Hungary and we had a, a project in the school that was a group, a team uh, project and we had to select one. Uh, exp- what we, we had to uh, conceive an experiment and execute it and analyze it and uh, that was our, our whole semester project. And I somehow convinced my my classmates to to do the project I dreamed, uh, which was which was pretty much uh, similar to the to this project. We were I wanted to know how kids perceive time relative to adults because we all have that that uh, uh, experience that that uh, when we were kids uh like three to five six years old uh certain events like like uh summer camps vacations uh you know the first time i i went to 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 the to the beach to the sea um uh, they, these are retrospectively they they felt so much longer than than let's say the entire summer times today as an as an adult, as a grown-up. Uh, so when we reflect on time, we have very distorted perspective. So what does make time feels sometimes very long uh, and other times very short, very compressed? What is that elasticity that uh, that that w- that we experience with time? And so in, in our really simple experiment, we gave uh, kids uh, two video materials. We played uh, two videos. One was a very eventful video. The other one was uh, boring. It's, uh, it's, uh, they, both of them were clips from cartoons. Uh, Sandra will, will explain this much more in details. Uh, and uh, we asked the very simple questions from kids and adults. Well, which one was longer? Both video was exactly the same duration, okay? And we just asked which one, which one was longer. The, 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 the main difference between the two videos, is one was really eventful, uh, really action-packed uh, adventures. The other one was really boring. Nothing really happened. So I was curious how much the content uh of these of these two experiences influence our reflection reflection reflecting on the time that it took uh and and well we we wrote this uh, so this became uh, uh a school project we, we wrote the report everything went fine i moved on my studies and I checked the literature like 20 20 years later if there is anything like this have been published because I thought this is such a a basic experiment that somebody will do it, somebody will do it much better, you know, in a laboratory uh, with much more precise uh, equipments. Uh, And I was surprised to see that it hasn't been done so when Sandra came uh, to me and she seemed to be the right person with the right mind uh, and and able to uh, you know an analytic mind is able to to wrap her mind around the all the complexities of this question because time really relates to philosophy psychology neuroscience even physics so um uh she seemed to be the right person so we we embarked on it and she executed this experiment which would actually deliver the the results that we were expecting and uh, yeah so that's that's the story in brief what how did we get to this uh study and i'm still i'm still kind of surprised and um awakening of uh, what a big splash this study made and in, in the science, because I get so many uh, people writing to me and interviews, and it seems it's really cutting deep in people's mind. Uh, how, I guess we are all uh, for the reasons I mentioned earlier, because we are all so much uh uh, involved in uh, managing our times and time is really became a currency of our life i would say yeah sandra if you have something to add. uh
3: yes i'm here and i completely agree i think uh uh, one doesn't have to be a scientist because topic uh, such as time or space, they th- these are all very fundamental concepts and uh, very uniquely human experiences. And I believe every curious person uh, asks herself at least like sometimes during the lifetime, what is time and what is space? Like how do we experience those things? So. Um, I also agree with the professor Nadezhdi and I believe it's very exciting to work on this topic because it's it's never boring there's always something to read something to explore and also it includes a developmental neurobiological or philosophical perspective even the physical and as he said so it's never a dull moment here so <laughs> I'm actually very glad that it's it's my topic <laughs> well, and of course wonderful. we have Yes. No, 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 I wanted to say that this is just one of the one of the papers that we are working on so it was just the beginning but of course we are very glad to see the reaction because the paper went out in January and I believe that it was downloaded maybe 3000 times so far and it was still it still holds on the 50 position like uh, among the old attract articles so it still uh, goes in the 99 percent so it's it's very encouraging also for me because it's my first study that i ever published so it's nice to see that people are reading and enjoying our work
0: well congratulations for that and i think you deserve all the attention and um yeah so if you want to now dive into the presentation everyone Mm -hmm. and the the link is posted on top and um renee did you want to add a short comment before we go into the actual research yeah
5: yeah yeah a couple quick comments Mm -hmm. um for those who remember alvin toffler future shock i saw him when i was in mcgill in the 60s um his concept of time when you think of time being relative to a child that's going from two years old to four years old that's doubling the time you've existed. So when you go from, say, one to two, you've doubled, go from one to three, that's three times the amount of time, when you go from 20 to 40. Of course, it's going to go much faster, or equivalently to two to four. And so, so there's no match, there's no, for me, it's so obvious, as far as the relationship of children versus adults see time, it's relative to how long you've lived. So it's very, very simple for me.
0: Well, Renee, if you would like to read the paper and wait for the researchers to actually share sure. their research, sure. uh, please, um, yeah, because nothing if, is ever really simple. <laughs> if you think <laughs> anything is really <very> yeah. simple, <laughs> then you didn't ask enough.
5: <laughs> yeah. okay, no, let's have, go. The other if, concept, no, because I might not be able to stay. So at least the last concept was Einstein. So when you're in pain, you really feel it for a long time. He actually said, if you speak to a pretty girl, an hour feels like half an hour. And so, if you're, if it's pleasurable, it goes faster. If it's painful, it goes slower. So there's different views: There's Future Shock, Alvin Toffler, the Zeinstein, and there's a research study that I'll listen to.
1: Uh, uh, Rene, if I can, if if I can very quickly answer to your uh, challenging question. Uh, it's a really good question thanks for asking that I was actually saving that to the end uh I 100% agree with you that time is uh, is is distorted uh I mean time perception is, is proportional to the to the total lifetime of the observer in you know, you mentioned that two years old is half the age of a four years old, four years old half the age of the eight years old. Of course, the perspective on time, on let's say on the summer times and how intense the summer were, will be different. And as I said, I'm hundred percent agree with you on that. However, you will see that in our experiments, kids and adults will look uh, one minute videos so it's a relatively well not relatively it's really short time relative to the age so that effect that you mentioned the the total life lived doesn't really matter or doesn't really confound our result you will see okay just hold that that's a
5: good point that's a good point
1: just hold hold that skepticism because um yeah so what we're going to argue for that that Uh, and Sandra will make this more clear, is that kids uh, use a completely different heuristics uh, relative to adults. And we've switched those heuristics somewhere between, somewhere around the age of six, seven at school age, which, Mm -hmm. and school will have to do something with it, but I don't wanna spoil it, Sandra. So please, (laughs) please go ahead.
3: Okay. Thank you. Uh, Before I start, uh, I would like to thank you all once again for being here today. It really means a lot. And by this occasion, I'm going to present our most recent study. The official title of the study is uh, Children and Adults Rely on Different Heuristics for Duration Estimation. And probably we mentioned earlier, but it has been published in Scientific Reports Journal uh, in January this year. Uh, After my presentation, Professor Nadezhdi will take over and also, of course, I will be here, so I'm sure we will be glad to answer many of your questions. But uh, on the other hand, we are completely aware that this one hour long presentation probably will not be sufficient to cover many of your questions or uh, many interesting topics related to time perception. So we would be more than happy if we could continue this discussion. And anyone is absolutely invited and more than welcome to ignite any conversation. Both of us are available on social media, so please, just feel free to drop us a message and share, share with us what excites you the most. Okay, I think we can start. Uh, I'm not sure how many of you are familiar with the topic of time and what are your backgrounds education-wise. So here on the first slide that you all can hopefully see, I'm just going to start with a very, very brief introduction. A great question to begin with would be, uh, what is time actually? Well, uh, the elaborate definition of time would largely differ whether it would be provided by a physicist, humanist, neuroscientist or psychologist, for example. But a common kind of a meeting point would be that uh, time is a fundamental concept and dimension humans are using to organize their lives. Despite for being one of the central aspects of human experience, concept of time is highly problematic, both in physics and cognition, but nevertheless, it is still uh, one of those fields that attract a lot of scientific attention. Uh, From the developmental point, uh, scientists are curious how do children reason about the temporal dimension before they adopt the metaphorical representation of time and before they develop actually supporting linguistic capacities? Uh, Generally speaking, how does the conceptualization of time actualize before the concept of absolute time is learned? or in a very simple words, uh, how children utilize time without knowing to read so-called mechanical clock time? Of course, uh, in search of answers to those questions, we could travel far away and pay a visit to some of many isolated tribes uh, of non-Western culture, Uh, where concept of a clock time means absolutely nothing but also we can also uh, gain very valuable insights just by tracking the developmental trajectories and observing uh, young children Uh, so now we jump uh, to motivation for our present study actually what were the reasons to start this project Well, since time is neither being resolved by any sensory modality nor has an innate metric system to rely on, uh, our underlying assumption was that subjects might rely on different heuristics as available proxies. Heuristics are actually mental shortcuts that facilitate problem-solving and probability judgments, and most importantly, they enable quick decisions, and they were introduced in cognitive science by Kahneman and Tversky in the mid-70s. I believe everyone is familiar with this. But now going back to our study, uh, we wanted to investigate whether different age groups conceptualize temporal duration differently and whether we can use the shortcuts such as heuristics when it comes to time estimation. Intuitively, uh, we assume that the reference frame of duration estimates might change with age, and that children and adults would indeed rely on different heuristics model. Why? Well, first of all, because of the naturally occurring complex biological maturation and increasing cognitive capacities, and of course, the education. And probably lastly the increasing adherence to the concept of absolute time uh, in addition uh, we were curious to find out when does a shift from event centered to event independent time occurs Uh, Regarding the methodology of the study, we employed altogether 138 subjects. However, we divided them into three groups according to their age. So the first group was made of kids four to five-year-old. The middle group was school-age children, nine to ten-year-old. And the last group was adults or people who were subjects who were above 18 at the time of the assessment. Uh, all of the groups, they went through exactly the same experimental procedure, meaning that the the subjects watched the cartoons that lasted exactly one minute. And uh, although they were uh, just exactly the same in duration, one of the cartoons was eventful, with lots of actions and exciting music in the background, while the other was eventless, monotonous, with lots of repetitive and therefore predictive content. Uh, they watched both cartoons only once, so the method of the study was aligned with the so-called retrospective paradigm of time perception. Of course... If I can... Uh, if,
1: Sandra, sorry, if course, I can add something of course. to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, for those of you who are you are listening and you and have the, the slides on, on the display, this is the fifth slide that um, illustrates the actual uh, video.
3: Mm -hmm. Yes, it has a methods as a title, so it's easier to track. Mm -hmm. Uh, Of course, the order of the cartoons was randomized across the subjects, meaning that the half of the subjects started their screening with the cartoon type A, while the others started with the type B. And uh, because our youngest group was only four to five years old, we imposed a very simple, very simple experimental instruction and asked the subjects to compare the cartoon that they have just watched, and just to simply make a pick which one of them seemed to last longer, A or B. A similar procedure was also applied to arm spread, where we asked each participant to represent the duration of a cartoon by spreading both of their arms and for those arm spread uh, for spreads we measure the distance between the arms with a regular tailor meter that everyone has at home i believe and as well we noted down the orientation whether it was horizontally or vertically directed now, on the next slide, we are we are moving further. Uh, you can see the screenshots, uh, and they are made from the Balthazar movie, a cartoon that we used in the study, originally made and produced by the film company called Zagreb Film Production. It's an old and famous Croatian company. And as previously said, one cartoon was action-packed, exciting, with a rhythmically and melodically rich tune, while the other was Uh, exactly the same in duration, but very different regarding the content. Uh, It was made of eventless sequences and simple background music. And that being said, in such a very simple, yet contrasting experimental setting, the critical question was, which cartoon seemed to last longer, eventful or uneventful, so exciting or boring one? Uh, Now we are jumping to the results section, and uh, we conducted a couple of uh, statistical procedures, uh, very simple, just as uh, chi square, and we obtained the following. Uh, On this slide, you can see the bar charts, and those results show strong bias in each age group, so uh, more than 67% of pre-kindergarteners perceive the eventful cartoon as longer. Uh, while 75% of the adults felt the same about the uninventful cartoon. Uh, the middle group expressed a similar but more moderate bias than the adults, uh, and that confirmed the age dependency of the conceptual change and placed a critical time window of a switch between the age on four, of 4 and 10. On the next slide you also can see the bar charts however these are these ones are for the arm spread orientation And regarding the arm spread orientation and the distance that we measure with the Taylor meter, um, there was a trend of using a horizontal orientation and that was increasing with age. So while pre-kindergarten age kids use 50 to 15% vertical and horizontal gestures, by school age that ratio changed to 85% in favor of horizontal arm expressions. Uh, The following results led us to conclusion that uh, when estimating the temporal duration, uh, children might rely on the availability heuristics or, in a children's narrative, how much they can talk about something. Uh, That means that um, if the first cartoon was packed with actions and they could talk a lot about it, four to five-year-olds would feel such cartoon as longer. Uh, the uneventful cartoon, in contrast, had no episodes and no storyline, and it could practically have been summarized with just a single verb, so uh, the kids estimated that cartoon as short. On the contrary, the adults might be using the so-called sampling heuristics and operate under the rule of how many times they could sample the flow of absolute time. In other words, and when we try to translate this experience to real life, uh, everyday situations, uh, when we are bored or when we are not sufficiently occupied, we are able to check the watch and think about where else we could be at that time. And all these distractions enable us to sample the flow of absolute time. Uh, lastly, uh, our results support the hypothesis that 4-5 year old children use heuristics to estimate time, and they convert from availability heuristics to sampling heuristics between pre-kindergarten and school age. In our study, uh, pre-kindergarteners estimated the duration of the eventful cartoon as longer. In contrast, the school age children and adults claim the same about the uneventful cartoon. Uh, This tendency to represent temporal duration with the horizontal arm spread was evident among all three groups, however, it was increasing with age. Uh, The school age group was found to take an intermediate position between the pre-kindergarten and adult groups, uh, both in duration estimates and hand orientation, uh, confirming that age dependency of the conceptual change and placing the critical time window of a switch between age of 4 and 10, and proposing that as the period when children learn the concept of absolute time. Uh, In a conclusion, uh, it's essential to realize that those fundamental concepts like time and space are more complex than we can pin down by a type of neurons in the brain. And it's highly advisable to consider both biological and cognitive aspects in order to successfully wrangle such abstract concepts. Uh, at the very end of this presentation, I would like to thank you for your attention. And of course, we are looking forward to your comments and questions. Uh, the whole study together with supplemental data is, is easily available as it was published under the Open Access Policy. But on the very last slide, together with our contact information, you can find the link leading you directly to the scientific reports journal page. So thank you very much.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for presenting um, this work and these really interesting results. Um, uh, So yeah, also congratulations on, you know, designing the experiment this way and um, seeing these differences or acknowledging these uh, detailed differences and even how to, you know, how younger children express, um, you know, the time concept. I think that was really interesting too and um i feel that's really interesting about the narration part did you or do you think in the future it will be interesting to reanalyze this in the terms of um how good their schooling system is like um because the narration part has also a lot to do with if their mm-hmm. education is, you know, is fairly good, like does this ability uh, play into this and maybe would children with like autism spectrum disorders or so maybe have a different mm-hmm. time perception mm-hmm. due to their ability?
3: Mm-hmm. well i would say that this is not at all like education related and it's more uh, specifically tied to the memory capacity so if we just compare those two age groups or those three age groups of course that memory capacities are increasing with age so we cannot expect from a child that is four or five year old uh, to to have the same capacity as someone who is uh, fourth or fifth grade. So those are very crucial, but developmental changes. So at that age, many things are happening. Of course, we have those. Uh, very uh, let's say regular developmental trajectories but of course at that time uh, it doesn't only come to maturation and uh, of those pathways also the cognitive abilities they uh, they are uh, they are increasing and also the linguistic capacities because such small children they are lacking the vocabulary actually to describe whether something happened earlier or two days ago or uh, two weeks ago or in February and so on. So um, those, I think, it's a matter of uh, developmental change, and uh, the main thing is that we operate uh, with with the capacities that we are having. So that's why we propose that that children, that such such young children, will operate on this availability heuristics because it only requires the memory. So whatever they can retrieve. Or firstly whatever they can perceive and later on what they can retrieve, it will be available for them to narrate. Right. So if, they're, if they uh, uh, increase the memory capacity, they will be able to narrate more. But of course, it's completely different if we speak uh, speak of older people or adults because we don't rely so much on those memory capacities, although we uh, have them uh, already developed. But we use some another principle. Let's uh, let's say let's um, like this sampling heuristics because whenever we are bored we are uh, somewhere else in the mind thinking what else we could do or how many time already passed and we are thinking in terms of this mechanical clock time and children of course because they are not uh, used they don't know how to read this clock time they are not using this at all so it's um, it's a fundamental difference and I think it's um, uh at one side it's very simple however it's very logical and um i kind of um, um, yeah. i think it's a, it's a good yeah
0: yeah it's interesting but you know there are huge differences uh in how many words kids have available in this age depending on if mm-hmm. their parents read with them or if they spend more or less time on screens
3: um, mm-hmm. They are
0: huge difference, especially at that age when they kind of start getting into the public educational system. Then yeah. it maybe adapts, like it becomes more generalized, like what words they have available. I was mm-hmm. just thinking that maybe a kid that has a thousand words available versus a kid that has only a hundred at let's say mm-hmm. age four. That maybe, of course,
3: it, it yeah. totally makes sense and we didn't go in that direction but as we said, this is just the first step and uh, study can go in many directions. I mean, we can employ different groups. Um, Uh, So also we can take uh, older people because uh, we took uh, for our third group, it was mostly consisted of students. So for sure, it's not the same when you compare a student, someone who is in his early 20s, when you compare to someone who is 70 or 80. So I think it will be interesting to see with the time how this uh, theory will develop, because I believe uh, not just us, but many other probably research groups will be able to test uh, how it goes and test many groups so either younger either older or people having um, some developmental disorders and so on so yeah i'm I'm really curious
0: yeah i think it's really interesting because it would be maybe a fairly easy way to diagnose people with different disorders i don't know if you know about this parkinson Mm -hmm. test where of
2: course people Mm -hmm. with
0: parkinson are supposed to describe a picture where there's a lot of motion happening something uh-huh. falls and and the person has to move and people with parkinson really early on even if they don't have this highly severe um uh, uh, yeah if problems, it's not uh,
3: stage yeah, stage the, five or the so uh-huh. description,
0: the description of the picture uh, has fewer motion words which is really interesting and that's why i was thinking that the language available mm-hmm. and the description can tell us a lot about you know developmental maybe or mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. different type of disorders and, and and when you say when it switches due to education of using the you know a watch or uh-huh. something like that or writing that would also be mm-hmm. yeah that would also be mm-hmm. interesting if there's kind of maybe in some people with different disorders if there's kind of in between that they kind of use both or not so much just this you know if the abstraction maybe of time maybe it can hint to also other neurological disorders of if course you cannot make the mm-hmm. abstraction as well
3: mm-hmm. and thank mm-hmm. you of course, I just I just want to make clear one thing because when we said or when I said education, we didn't think of a formal education like going to high school or attending a university degree. We thought just like being exposed to writing and reading because that influenced a lot our uh, direction. Like how do you sort, how do you order the things if you are just doing, uh, if you are just using a very simple line. So all of us who are in this let's say, Western part, we are used to write and, and read from left to right, right. But people in Middle East, they do it like in reverse fashion. So it's it's influence, it's influence influencing actually how do we conceptualize uh, things also in, in our cognition. So um, I just wanted to make that part very clear. So this orthography or the direction of writing and reading is very important. And that's why we asked kids to represent the duration by the arm spreads. We were curious to see whether they would uh, direct their uh, arms horizontally or vertically. And also, we kind of thought that at the very beginning, if they align, if they put their hands horizontally, they would think of time as something like uh, length. And if they place their their hands vertically, they would think of time as a quantity. so uh, that's why we wanted to see whether such simple thing like a simple hand gesture can pinpoint something deeper, like something that is embedded in our recognition. But yes, I agree what you said about Parkinson and Uh, I think of course it cannot be used as a test, but action, what you said, it's being uh, questioned in this test meant for Parkinson's, people with a a diagnosis of Parkinson's disease is actually at the time is always closely tied to action. So whenever you think of something like what were you doing yesterday, you always have in your memory embedded like space, time and action, right? So yesterday at 9am, what I was doing, I was uh, answering my email. Email. So you always have time, space, and action. So, uh, as you said, uh, among people with who are diagnosed with the Parkinson's disease, this third part is kind of a lacking. But everything is interconnected. we, we cannot put aside like one aspect and then uh, speak about time separately and then speak about space separately and so on, so everything is really important and of course even harder it is to disentangle those things in uh, in terms of neurobiological, because uh dopamine that is very important for actions and parkinson's disease also plays a role in timing so i think it's it's very interesting overall and it's never boring area
0: yeah it's very interesting oh yeah please go ahead
3: (laughs) sorry can i add something yeah uh
1: so um going back to uh, katrina's uh question uh she brought up autism which uh you know, stroke my attention because uh, it's actually a really relevant point that there is something. There's some dramatic change happens between age of four, five, and and six, seven, with with basically the school. Um, and and this is our perspective with respect of time. It just completely changes, and this 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 is consistent with that. With, with going from egocentric reference frames to allocentric reference frames in spatial cognition. And also this coincides with the age of, of uh, the theory of mind, uh, the false belief, or mentalization, where kids learn to, to think with somebody else's point of view, somebody else's mind right i don't know how many of you are familiar with the uh, with the with the test of of, of sally and n uh, when the kids are asked the question that requires to answer from somebody else's point of view so younger than four years old, the kids usually fail on this test and also interestingly autistics fail on this test now what we see here in in our experiments is is actually exactly the same thing that our perspective with respect of time is changing. Kids think about time from an egocentric point of view how much they can talk about it it's it's a It's a performance how how many sentences I can make how long can i uh, how many episodes I can recall and now when when you are asking an adult he or she will be. Uh, He should really be referencing time as an absolute entity that we are all part of it. So the reference is now outside of our life. We are all basically, uh, if I can, I can find a good metaphor how we think about time as adults is that time is absolute. It's like a flow. It's like a river that has a very rapid flow. And uh, we are sitting in a, inside a boat, and that boat is traveling with that with the with the stream. Uh, but we don't experience time if we are just looking at each other and conversation, uh, having conversations, and uh, we there is no evidence that time is passing. You need to go to the outside and look at the sh- the the riverside. And when you see the riverside moving, that's an indication that we are actually the boat is moving. Uh, so, so sampling the absolute time is 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 equivalent with changing the reference to uh, what we call in spatial cognition allocentric reference frame. We you are centering the events to the environment, not to yourself you're stepping out outside of your body. So in that sense, it does relate to that. With, you mentioned, Katrina, the, uh, the autism, and I'm not proposing that this could be a test, but basically anything could be a test. Uh, and this is a very simple a question a very simple test that he could serve some some kind of uh, prognostic tool in the future I don't know but it's it's not a bad idea thank you so much for asking
0: oh yeah thank you yeah I was also thinking of dyslexia and so on um, which are all kind of on the spectrum I don't know how big the differences would be that you would be maybe yeah. reliably but it's a challenge because we know that if our preschool if we get kids early on into educational programs that are kind of adapted to kids with these kind of different ways of learning uh they can they can do really well in the future and the beginning of schooling is so important for the future outcome and self-esteem and even another we had like rooms about that uh, with other guest speakers for for the whole future of achievement so if this would be kind of a you know relatively cheap broad scale test that we could you know um assess and then give children the opportunity to you know to learn in their way that would be amazing <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah i
1: cool. agree and we have not really exploited this uh to as you mentioned you know you can uh, uh, dyslexia autism attention deficit disorder so there's so many that we can uh, we we can uh, look at how how sensitive this test is for all these uh, disorders and how can we intervene uh, in time when we recognize these problems, but that's definitely uh, putting together a narrative, uh, which, which this task requires uh, would be, yeah, a very, very powerful test for, you know, that depends on the vocabulary of the kids, the memory that Sandra mentioned, uh, co- cognitive ability to organize things in time dimension, until time becomes its own separate dimension that's that's what we learn in school and um, and one of the really fundamental uh concept that we learn in school is simultaneity so that takes us to the allocentric concept of time is that you you're able to learn you're able to conceive that While you are sitting in math class, your sister may be sitting in another class, let's say music class, and you are on the same schedule and the same time. And when you finish your class, your sister will finish exactly the same time. So this this concept that we are all living our lives simultaneously, and when then we, we 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 merge or or we intersect with our life trajectories then depart again this is this is the way we adults think of life and it's really transforming the, our our view on things so then you know there's a there's a vast literature in and i'm thinking of of uh like uh uh novels and movies about the about the how our life trajectories intertwine intersect depart Uh, this is a wonderful things that that is really making our life complex and and fulfilling
3: okay i just wanted to add a simple line because when we discussed about uh, opportunity or actually, uh, yeah, opportunity of using the duration estimation task as a diagnostic test, then I believe we should also code for the order, not just for the duration. So it wouldn't be just uh, dependent on the memory capacity, but also on the order because time it can be, it has two features. So it's, it's duration and it's order and I believe this second feature that is order would be more relevant for dyslexic kids or something like that so i believe i mean it definitely has some potential but we didn't think of going in that direction
0: well thank you so much and i wanted yeah to if you still have time please let me know when it's like the last few minutes you have to leave so because a few people joined the stage um yeah so just let me know when i should stop taking questions and yeah okay. QH, do you want to thank you i'm
1: available
6: yeah well thank you so much for presenting it was really amazing i enjoyed it so i have one i have like few questions so the first question is like in your study uh you guys uh presented uh participants with a one minute eventful and uneventful video you know to assess mm-hmm. their perception of time so I'm intrigued by the possibility of uh, manipulating other variables within the videos, you know, such as the, let's say, uh, speed you know, at which the events unfold or, or maybe the complexity of the events themselves. Uh, so how do you think uh, varying these factors might affect the way children's uh, or adults perceive time? Would these uh, changes in the video characteristics have a, a significant impact on the heur- heuristics that you mentioned employed by different age groups uh, for the duration estimation?
1: Uh, well, I can, I can take this. Uh, we, we did, um, uh, I, I, first of all, uh, I completely agree with you that there these tasks has, uh, are very complex and there's a lot of features that you can vary. Uh, oh, one thing that, that Sandra also mentioned was that we had a music, uh, undertone, uh, during this, these cartoons, and we were we were also wondering how much the music, the rhythm, uh, the pace of the music, the melody itself might have contribu- contributed to the, to the result. What if we take the music off and we, somebody just watch this movie silently and Sandra actually did this control without music and without any sound and it turns out that the the result is 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 exactly the same, so music itself did not really influence it, but other elements that you mentioned, such as the number of transitions, color changes uh, uh, transients uh moving characters, the number of characters introduced the the, the episode boundaries, these are all, all probably factor in when we compare uh, these movies. At a certain point, of course, if you, if you balance everything, then you are basically watching two identical movies. Uh, but, but there is a large room for these, these type of features to, to affect time perception. I don't know, Sandra. You would like to add something to it?
3: No, I completely agree, and we were also kind of worried because of this, but then uh, kind of assured after we did this uh, control study. And as Professor said, uh, the results were com- were completely the same. So. Uh, I believe in maybe in some some of the future ventures we can try to modify. Uh, but of course, that's one of the most important, probably uh, methodological thing that uh, everyone who will be conducting this or a similar experiment should pay attention to.
6: Great, thank you so much. Uh, do you guys have another like uh, time for another question?
1: oh yeah absolutely yeah yeah we are here okay
6: so your research uh, also like delves into the intricacies of you know observer independent absolute time you know from a cognitive mm-hmm. science perspective so which is undoubtedly like a crucial aspect of uh, understanding human perception of time so my curiosity uh, however like uh, extends uh, to the potential influence of cultural factors I, I think you guys discussed a bit about that uh, so <laughs> like cultural factors on the assimilation of absolute time and the heuristics employed by individuals in estimating durations like specifically i'm like more intrigued by the existence of any cross cultural variations in the temporal perception and the implication of these variations on the uh, development and internal- internalization of the concept of absolute time
1: Mm-hmm. I think Sandra can take this because she knows a lot about this. <laughs>
6: yeah,
3: yeah, I can I can take this one. Well, of course, if we think how large is um, the planet Earth, of course there are there, there are people who are living um, in culture that doesn't align with ours uh, right. So uh, we could of course travel or actually uh, get in touch with other researchers who are uh, in charge for those isolated tribes. But, uh, however, there is already a lot of literature available online, and maybe if you are familiar with the work of Lera Boroditsky, she did something in terms of linguistic uh, differences. However, what is relevant here for us is that those guys they do not rely on this so-called uh, clock, mechanical clock um, or watch time, right? So they um, navigate, or they use time uh, in a sense that they rely on the events. So basically, they are using the same principle, the same law that kids are using in the Western world before getting uh, aligned with this so-called mechanical clock, uh, clock time. Of course, I don't want them I'm not using this to underestimate their knowledge to navigate and to having of a sense of time. But that's that's how the things are, and actually, they don't need watch and they have everything, let's say, uh, centered or event-based. So if they want to meet in a distance or if they want to meet in 10 minutes, they say, okay, we can meet when the rice boils or something like that. And uh, once I read and that was super interesting because I think it was related to the Aboriginal tribe. And those are those guys are super interesting because uh, they even use the um, uh, they are they are interesting because of those directions and they align uh, to those cardinal dimensions. So they never say, for instance, "Okay, you are on my uh, right side." They always say, "Okay, you are standing north of me," or something like that. So I think it's very important to be uh, familiar with, or actually, to be to know how other people are conceptualizing the time and the fact that time is not universal so it's it's really relevant for us to know that how such fundamental concept and something that is truly human experience right every one of us we need time and we think in terms of those temporal uh, axioms however it seems that it's not universal uh, universal thing so i agree with you it's really exciting but so far i didn't find many papers related to this to this area only this uh, Lera Boroditsky work.
6: Yeah, I'm aware of that. It's, you're talking about like linear uh, versus the circular time perception, right? Like yes, with the, yes, uh, yes, yeah.
3: yes, exactly. Yeah.
6: Okay, cool. Well, I have, thank you so much for answering. Uh, I do have some questions, but I would like to pass on the mic. And if there is extra time at the end left, I can, I can ask that. So I would pass on the mic to the next uh, speaker. Thank you so much, guys.
3: And, of course, we left our contact information on the last slide, so p- please feel
6: free, yeah, yeah. we are only, on social uh, media, so like a, just
3: send us an email.
6: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I sent like LinkedIn sure. request to both of you already.
3: Okay, no problem.
4: Uh, I have a question. Can everybody hear me all right here? Yes.
3: Uh, yes. yes.
0: Let, let I, me just yeah. ask Nestle if she wanted to ask something. Oh, I apologize. She was waiting.
2: Yeah, Natalie, did you want to ask something? Hello, yes, I wanted to ask. Uh, hello, everyone. Thank you so much for this amazing session. I wanted to ask about the standard deviation for the result of adult estimation, and uh, does it imply something in uh, in your opinion? If uh, like uh, my estimation be more like, for example, similar to the uh, children or what does it say about that brain or and the, the other question is um uh do you do you know if the people in the experiment uh, watched the cartoon as an outsider and it could be that the experiment could be different if you would ask the question when they were solving a um mathematical for example a scientific question that requires their direct involvement uh, and their activities of their frontal lobe i'm done thank you
1: oh i i can take that um yeah so the first question about about the, the standard deviation uh thank you for asking yeah it's um we did a we did an extra uh, uh statistic statistical test on uh, c- comparing the variance of responses between the kids and the because we thought about it that maybe maybe what makes also different uh, makes a difference between kids and adults is that the adults has more consistent responses and that, that's why we compared the variance in the responses. And they, we found that there is actually no difference. So we were we were comparing our arm spreads uh, variations, and there is there's really uh, that didn't didn't explain any difference. There's no uh, there's no reduction of variation with age. That we could, uh, you know, anticipate, just based on that, all the skills you know what that adults learn are kind of improving the precision. Uh, like time estimation is also improves with age. Uh, we did not uh, notice any any such difference in our data. Uh, now back to the to the to the second question uh when you were what was it sorry i i'm i'm out what was the second question
2: if uh, the, oh, people the experiment were uh, all seeing it as an uh, like uh the, the the videos as an outsider and yeah 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 got <laughs> they it. Were yeah actively yeah. Uh, involving yeah sorry
1: yeah i mean um um yes what we are doing now in um, one of my students is looking at looking at a virtual reality that makes the, the, the experience more immersive. You are basically inside of the story, inside. You're part of the, of the scene that is happening around you versus you are kind of outside of the story. You are just an observer. You are just looking it through a camera. Uh, so we are comparing these scenarios and we are looking at how the time is experienced and, uh, experienced, whether it's experienced differently. If you are involved, you can, you can turn around, you get a 360 degree view on the scene. Let's say, um, uh, a prison break or bank robbery, uh, versus, uh, we are also having, uh, having very boring, uh, just uh, even less, uh, you know. You let's say you are on a beach and just looking around and enjoy the surrounding, the nature. Uh, so, so I cannot answer to your question whether this makes a difference because it's a work in progress. But we are absol- absolutely absolutely. Uh, uh tackling that that question whether it's a, uh, you know it's frontal lobe or what what brain areas might contribute to it would be the next question in line and that you know that we could take it to a mri scanner and looking at the localization of of contributing brain areas would be something down on the road uh absolutely it's on our roadmap, but they, I cannot really uh, speculate more on that. It, does that answer?
2: Thank you. Yes, thank you.
0: Perfect. Thank you. Uh, Kyle, do you want to go ahead
4: no. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> um,
0: I, as I was formulating my question,
4: I started, uh, I sort of simplified it to a question of, uh, are you guys aware of any potential for perceived impermanence that may relate to uh like if in an example I, i'm not sure if you guys did this but if if in these two different scenarios like heart uh the heart rate was being monitored mm-hmm. and there were different types of sympathetic resonance occurring between both scenarios you know because it, it, it's still an objective stimulus how how would these how might the differences between Sympathetic resonance in these scenarios affect like potentially affect like perceived impermanence that could be related to objective time.
1: Yeah, I, um, I I can take that Uh, so there is there's, of course, there's a number of biological clock like mechanisms in 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 our uh, brain or in our physiology and you mentioned heartbeat uh we do have there are studies that shows that we are actually have uh, a time dilation effect that that uh, correlates with heartbeat uh now also the brain has a number of uh, of structures that have uh, kind of regular pacing rhythms uh, uh that uh, kind of provide, uh, an internal clock that we could, uh, theoretically utilize when we estimate time. Now, I, I like to think about these, all these, uh, physiological clocks as, uh, as really a potential, uh, time taking, uh, uh a mechanism. However, it doesn't really answers the, the question of who is reading those clocks. So just to have clocks in our body, uh, uh, it, it only, uh, you know, contributes to the answer if we can propose that, where is that homunculus? Where where is that little uh, uh, observer inside our brain who would read and compare those, uh, those clocks? So, uh, I think I think time is is more complex that's something that you could reduce to these uh, these impermanences or something that just the uh something internal uh that's something our internal organs or our brain generates because it it requires a framework of uh, of some uh a conceptual framework of how do you how do you uh a concept f- a conceptual model of how do you think about it and that's exactly what we try to pinpoint with the with the heuristics it's the heuristic is something As Sandra explained that something is that doesn't exactly measure what we need but it's good enough to give us an approximate uh answer and because we don't have any sensory uh organs to specialize reading time or comparing durations or counting uh therefore we we must rely on these other uh proxies or heuristics and uh, and so from my point of view it doesn't really matter if we have those clocks inside our body or outside you still need a model you still need a heuristics to make sense of it and and compare it, measure it, memor, compare the memory of it, uh, count it, um, and and uh, and reference it, relate to it. I don't know if uh, if 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 I'm answering your question or not, but please uh,
4: feel free to correct me. I hear what you're saying, and it's interesting. I. I, I think I'm really uh, a little bit just curious and surprised, I would say, I guess, by the result that um, a, a more repetitive action, uh, perceiving a more repetitive action might uh, follow up with a perceived uh, shorter amount of time. And it feels to me like it's like intrusive on the uh, perceived impermanence of a person based on those biometric clocks. Because if there's like a standing wave of a person's, you know, uh, overall brain state that's sort of rooted in their their you know fear-based evolution. Then uh, it sounds more. It actually surprisingly seems like re- repetitive actions are more uh, intrusive on the you know the it, it may induce more of a state of stress that's may you know shortening telomere length or think something like this. That's that is interesting. So yeah, 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 yeah. There are actually a number of studies that that relates to the
1: to time dilation and compression under stress and anxiety, which is obviously, you know, emotional states are completely affecting these uh, these time estimates and those are contributing factors. I, I don't deny that. But uh, and I'm also I wanted to add that, uh, you know, uh, when we all have the experience when you are sitting on a boring meeting that time expands it just feels like as this is dragging on when is it gonna end uh and you when when you're sitting on this this boring uh, uh, meetings you 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 might be monitoring your internal state more closely than than if you are engaged to something uh, a, a joyful events like you are playing a sport so when you are just just bored or not occupied enough, you are monitoring your internal state and those internal state monitoring, like, like counting your, your, your breathing or breathing rhythm or, or heart rate, you feel it, those may uh, add up and contribute to expanding the perceived time duration for, for those activities in contrast with something enjoyable. And maybe that makes sense if you think about it
3: can i also make a short reply to kyle please yeah yeah. Okay, so I just oh, wanted to add that uh, having a repetitive actions actually doesn't require that much of cognitive effort. That's why we perceive them as shorter. So nothing is happening or although it's happening, but nothing is new. So there is no change in that sense. So that's why we are kind of a, just utilizing and being very economical in terms of what we are going to process in our cognition. But also I wanted to add that, uh, of course, I agree with Professor Nadezhdi, both biological and cognitive models should be employed in order to explain time and uh, nothing should be reduced only to biological models. However, Kyle, if you are interested uh, and if you are going in this direction, I can recommend for you to look for set theory probably, or maybe you are already familiar with it. It's an abbreviation for scalar expectancy theory, and it was proposed by Gibbon in the 70s. I cannot, I don't know uh, exactly the year, but it's one of the information processing models, and it's one of the most important models of animal timing behavior. So they propose the existence of this internal clock, meaning that the number of accumulated pulses represents the elapsed duration. So it's very, very different from this uh, cognitive-based theories. And also on the other hand, you have time cells that are, I would say, very popular lately because they were considered as a counterpart of the space cells. And we all know that uh, that discovery led to the Nobel. So people or researchers, they try to be very fast to to pinpoint like what type of a neuron in the brain keeps track of a time. However, uh, there are many, many works, and I can recommend. Uh, his his name is Cao. Um, he is a guy who works at, or he worked at the Kavli Institute in Norway, and he is uh, very into this topic of time cells. So, and also the one, the reference for the heartbeat. I know there is a paper that has been published maybe like two or three weeks ago, because I met that girl recently when I was in conference in Berlin and um it was it was published or it was written by uh, her name is Irena Arslanova and her supervisor is Manos Tsakiris. so if you are interested in this direction they they talk about time perception uh, and heartbeat so just a few recommendation if you want to if you want to continue your reading
4: thanks so much yeah i appreciate it
3: of course, you're welcome.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for all the questions. And um, the. I don't know, Akhil, did you had the last question? Yeah,
6: I had one question. Talk? If they are free, if they have uh, time. If they don't have time, I, I, you know, I will.
1: <laughs> the time is all we have.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and time is relative. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah.
6: Should I should I ask?
2: But yes, yes, go ahead. Yes, yes.
6: Okay. Okay. So, firstly, like I'd like to acknowledge that this question like may extend beyond the scope of your current research, and I understand the differences in time perception between children and adults are, you know, likely uh, more related to cognitive and developmental factors. However, I'm I'm intrigued by the uh, potential relationship between the concept of uh, you know size and our perception of time across varying sizes or objects you know to to offer some context and an interesting perspective uh, let's ponder the scenario of the fictional character like you know ant-man uh, who possesses the ability to shrink or grow in size so when he's smaller events might appear to unfold like more slowly due to the physical constraints of his size so in the context of your research could this uh you know, could this concept of uh, relative size have any implications for how children and adults perceive time differently? Uh, For example, might the physical differences in the size between a child and an adult observer contribute to the variation in the, uh, you know, time perception and the heuristics employed for the duration estimation? Additionally, uh, could this idea be extended to the, you know, perception of time by different objects or non-human entities given their relative size and uh, physical properties, um, you know, that might influence their experience of time. Thank you.
5: Hmm.
1: Okay. Thank you so much. Yeah, this is, this is a really interesting question. And I, um, uh, I, I, I really, I never thought about this. Uh, there is, there's an obvious relationship between the size of the brain and lifetime and the, the, the time of. Uh, uh let's say perception speed so the larger the brain the l- longer does it take to travel information you know from one part to the other and uh, there is also a very apparent um uh, uh correlation between uh animal sizes like elephants whales that live uh, proportionally longer than smaller animals uh, you know if you if you watch birds or insects they seem like they 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 response to the the interaction with the environment is happening on a much faster time scale than our interactions. Uh, so that, that raises the point that maybe the nervous system is is working on a higher clock clock speed than our nervous system then it all makes sense that they live a short life but maybe they fill out that short life with much more events that they perceive than us so this is this is just raising raising so many interesting questions but specifically how the the kids size uh i mean uh that the, the, they are being smaller than adults would change they perspective to time i my first uh intuition would say it doesn't but uh you know i i have to think more about this because uh um yeah i can't i can't really uh rule out uh, any uh, or all the potential confounding factors they derive from the size difference. It's absolutely it's an intriguing question. I don't know, Sandra. You have something to add to
3: I think this is a perfect uh, space and time to, to say that live slow and die old. Yeah. So it's not a trend anymore <laughs> to to live fast and die young. So. Yeah, I think it's interesting because whenever you you think of uh, elephants or turtles, they are very slow, but they can live up to, I don't know, 100 years or even older. So, yeah, Yeah. it's very interesting. But yeah, if we go back to your question, uh, I don't know, to be honest, how uh, object size and time perception are related. However, there is a theory by Walsh Uh, It's called theory of magnitude, and actually, it's proposing that there is a common magnitude-like center in the brain that uh, that it's it's being used for all the magnitudes for for all progressing uh, processing magnitude. So it doesn't matter whether you are thinking of a length or a duration or something like that. So. It's very useful when you think about if there is a something like that uh, in early developmental stages because, uh, for instance, the kids, they firstly learn like if something is small and big. So that's the first discrimination. And, of course, everything develops or develops beyond that, and it goes more complex and more complex. However, this theory is also very interesting because it's very useful and, again, very economic.
6: Yeah, like Zoltan pointed out about like big brains, right? Like so, like in yeah. larger animals, like the transmission of information across, uh, you yeah. know, uh, across longer distances within the nervous system might take more time.
2: Uh-huh. But but uh-huh. remember
6: that the, the time, the speed of light is constant. So like you mentioned, I think I heard something about time dilation. Do you think that can play a role in this? Uh, you know how how like small organisms like tend to uh live fast and die kind of thing (laughs) yeah
2: yeah (laughs) live fast die
1: fast. Uh, um yeah i you know it's it's a really conflicting question because because in one hand just every behavioral observation suggests that they are responding faster uh you know take take a example of a fly or or a cricket uh that they jump to they respond to any changes of the environments much faster than human reaction time on the other end the day nervous system consists of of neurons with the same conductivity the same conductance and speed of, of synaptic delays as r so the, they have the same gamma oscillations in their brain so their brain rhythms uh are the same even though they we they don't even have brains they have ganglions right Mm. so so it's really a a a very intriguing contradiction that i cannot resolve right now but what what, when you i was thinking um uh what you said about the size that from from a kid's perspective you know living in an adult world and this how how as they grow up the size relationship changes you know all of us probably have the same experience and we we go back to our school where we like elementary school to go back to the building when you revisit those locations everything feels so small right and so so obviously when 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 you are a small kid and your step size is half of the step size of your adult step size, it takes twice as long to walk through that building or you went to school. So the distances are larger. The space is larger. Everything took longer that time when as an adult going back. I wonder myself if, there, if that makes any difference or distortions of time. So I'm thinking of an experiment where you can just go through a hallway uh, as a kid versus an adult and you, it could be a virtual reality experiment. You are going through the same hallway, but you have different sizes, different eye height. Would you experience time differently from a lower uh, eye height uh, point of view uh, that's a kind of uh, interesting question to me right now. <laughs> I don't know. I can only speculate on it, but it's a good idea. great idea, Thank you.
0: Yeah, I wanted to add another factor that I might that I think that might play a role. We had the guest speaker here last week uh, that um, showed um, different, because there's all this literature claiming, that children learn at a faster pace than adults, so they can absorb like more information and retain it and learn at a faster pace. But uh, nobody actually studied uh, how that might be and that's an actual true fact. So what he found was that um, there's a big difference between an adult brain and a kid's brain is the inhibitory GABA system, it only is fully finished pretty late on uh, with 25 years old or so more or less and he found differences there although it's not fully developed yet when a child learns afterwards the GABAergic response basically is much higher also to GABA levels in the brain where kids then learned like the brain regions they looked at the release was much higher in children than in adults. And um, he could show that kids can learn at a pace of an interval of 10 minutes. Um, Adults need um, around two hours until they can really retain the next um, knowledge and not erasing basically. Uh, or overriding the previous learned knowledge. And he found that that has to do with the GABAergic system. So I would assume that maybe something similar plays a role in time perception uh, due to a higher GABA release after a signal comes in that you basically stop the signal um, to make space for the next one at a faster and more efficient pace than in the adult, so you can so maybe the time perception is also dependent on that.
1: Yeah, thank thanks so much. It's uh, it's a very complex question uh, because uh, because one hand, GABA is is very directly linked to uh, gamma oscillations in the brain. You know that's the inhibitory circuitry in the in the brain, so. It, it, it relates to brain rhythms, but we don't really uh, see difference in terms of the frequency of brain rhythms between kids and adults, but we do see that the the prevalence of those oscillations and uh, the duration of those oscillations relative to uh, other oscillations in the brain. But uh, in terms of inhibition, uh, that's that that takes uh you, you mentioned that it, it it the maturation of those inhibitory pathways takes uh us to far uh later than adolescent age when they finish and they complete it's true and uh, and uh that could uh potentially contribute to to the changing of time perspective, uh, I I I I haven't considered this angle, but uh, totally um, uh, feasible that or, or I can think about. It's conceivable that uh, that these inhibitory mechanisms uh, may. Uh, Play an important. What I've been thinking also is that, you know, for from for adults to learn something, that what what may make it more time consuming to learn, let's say a new skill relative to a kid, is that we have a lot of interferences because we are already in possession of so many skills. So to learn the new skills, you basically need to work other skills, suppress other reflexes and skills to make room for a new skill. And why children, they don't have those larger repertoire of skills yet. So it's easier to learn something new, easier to allocate uh, neuronal space in the brain to something that they have not, that has not been occupied by another skill, uh, so all this this just makes the question so complex that I I really can't shortcut here to give you a, a quick uh, uh, convincing answer. But it's a really good 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 proposal.
0: Thank you, and Peter is a you know uh, he comes from the athlete um high performing world. If you still have time, you wanted to add something to the discussion. Thank you.
7: Yeah, I think this is, I missed, I will listen through the thing, uh, the presentation from the beginning, but what you talked about, about heartbeats and so forth. I think that that has a parallel in certain ways and also the perception of time for for both kids and adults and so forth. And the thing with, if you take my resting heart rate, the lowest measured has been 29, which is fairly low. Wow. wow. So So uh, on the other hand, and I have had- It's like hibernation. Yeah, let's put it this way. The thing there, where that has a relevance for the, uh, how the, the brain and time is, when that means that, the the explanation for the heartbeat there is that that is not uncommon to have that level or that heart rate for uh, international level level okay. endurance mm-hmm. athletes. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, if you go to to a hospital and so, and a normal doctor checks you, they they wonder if you're about to die soon and you're in Correct. serious trouble and they will keep you overnight at the very least. So, but the thing there is that. The, the heart then can pump way more uh, oxygen and, uh, and blood around. And, uh, and that means that you can have a much higher performance. So you have fewer cycles and so forth. And it probably affects, unless it's a, it's a heart problem, it affects longe- longevity to a certain extent too, because there has been theories about that Many animals, including humans, have a certain number of heartbeats roughly, if you generalize. and the lower resting heart rate you have, or the lower heart rate you have, the less you strain the heart, and the, the, the number of heartbeats last longer, so to speak. That I, how, however true that is, but if you look at a number of animals that have high heart rates uh, and so heart rates and so forth, so where this links into to the brain and so forth with athletes, the people that know what they are doing, they need to run through very few cycles to analyze the situation and to see what they need to do. And if you were to correlate time perception to the number of cycles in order to figure out what is going on around you, if you do not understand that what is going on around you, you will be... Anxious, stressed, and the brain will run through many cycles to try to figure out what is going on which will probably give a time perception that time moves very fast. So in high-level athletics and in many many other and it maps over very well to lots of other areas where where if you understand or have the capability of figuring out what is going on. And even in situations where it may be threat to life, but you know what you need to do. You may not like the situation, but you may be calm and focused and get on with it. If you make it out of there alive or not, that might be touch and go anyway. But your odds are very different. So, I think that um, I, I don't. I don't want to say anything more. If you think that I'm not on on a track that, that no. maps in any way that is relevant for what research you have done. And so, otherwise, I'm very interested in discussing more uh, about it. Maybe at some other point and so forth. But so anyway, um, those were my. My, my thoughts i hope it made sense
1: yeah yeah totally i i mean you brought up a couple of points that are really interesting and one is that from let's say high performing athletes uh i can think of certain type of performances like uh, for example pool jumpers and when they when they have to uh focus on right before the performance uh they kind of anticipate the the sequence of events it's kind of uh you know predicting what's going to happen and when they are on that on you know on high on the pole uh that they they describe it that those those uh those few seconds or it doesn't even last few seconds, it's just one second. The time dilates, the time expands. They they kind of sample that time interval much with much more samples, much more details. Uh, And so they are they are present in that one second, which is the critical moment of whether they are passing the bar or not. Uh, So this kind of focus on a certain sport or athletic performances can make time dilate, it's absolutely conceivable to me. And it would be really interesting to look at that with, I don't know how, probably uh, looking at memories, look or replaying the events, replaying it uh, it from a first person point of view as as what they saw, replaying it from a third person point of view, like the camera, man from the side how do they how does it influence uh yeah we we i i just don't know i mean people did experiments like um uh, people went up to a tower did bungee jumping and they measured time uh while jumping and uh, and do uh, time estimates and nothing really interesting came out from all those researches. <laughs> so I, I don't really know. Uh, but it, I, I feel like there is something there. So that's I, I, a good I may point. Have
7: some, I may have some ideas about that if you. But okay. we can discuss. the The other thing that I want to add is that the thing about if it is a, not like pole vaulting, where it's one individual jumping by himself. Mm-hmm. If you have competitive situations where you're competing against one other individual or a team, one of the things that I've always told people, rule number one is make sure to unbalance your opponent. Because no matter how skillful they are, if they are worried about things, all their capa- capabilities <laughs> goes out the window and it doesn't matter how good they are under optimal <laughs> you're, you're laughing but you you probably Yeah no it's
1: it's, <laughs> it's it's the psychological warfare that is part of it it just reminds me for you know chess players how they distract each other Yeah from, I, from the checkerboard.
0: I I remember uh, Daniel Kahneman's book right now how he um, also um, helped uh, the the israeli military but also um, professional sports um, to uh, pre-select basically who will you know to find the next talent and who will do well and to try to figure out and that this was you know one of the hardest problems and probably still is so peter do you think that this is this ability to slow down the circle sur- it's kind of an ODA loop right uh from the military perspective do you think that this is an intrinsic ability people have already before because if yet no yes, no we, yeah but no, could it be like that that you have already a good memory retention no,
7: no 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 it hasn't no it's, i don't that's not what is the critical factor The thing with it is... And by the way, you don't need to... The psychological warfare, so to speak. It does not have to be in a nasty way or evil whatsoever. It can just be a strategy that the opponents have not seen before that makes them confused. And going to the ODA loop is perfectly, perfectly good idea. The problem with the understanding of the ODA loop is that it's so poorly understood and uh, i could map that out in a much better way because john boyd that developed the idea uh he explained it so so but the people that have read it that i've looked at it afterwards understood it so even worse but it can be explained much simpler the thing is the understanding and you can train people in that very effectively the people, what seems like natural ability are people that got an, a way of learning and figuring things out at a young age. And then that snowballed over time and how to do that in various environments. But most often people have it in one area because considering there is no one training in it. I've been playing around with how to train people in this and, uh, it It can be done now i didn't I wasn't sure a couple of years ago that it could be done. However, the thing is that most of the time people learn how to do it within one area of life, but they don't understand how it generalizes over to other areas, and they then can start to use it in in just about anything and everything in their lives because they came across it by chance very often or were coached, anyway, yeah, uh, yeah, sorry, Sultan. Yeah,
0: I was thinking, (laughs) you know, to find the next big soccer player or basketball player, you need to have this oversight that you mentioned in the beginning to quickly assess a situation without going through a lot of loops. So I was thinking if in children, it would be interesting to see, it would be a long-term study but let's say you screen in children before they switch to this clock uh, time perception learning, you know, the, the test for four to five-year-olds and so on, if, they, if the difference between those two videos is bigger because they retain more detailed information about actions that are going on in the more interesting video, if that would be a good predictor, if they become athletes later on, that they will do better at sports like, you know, fast paced group sports like basketball. And then later on, you wouldn't be able to use that test anymore very well because you were trained differently uh, what time is meant. I would just be interested in in seeing that.
1: Wow, yeah, that's... (laughs) um that's again uh well we we did not really think all this
2: thing. no <laughs> i mean you, you bring so
1: many angles in it yeah if it if we could use this for as a predictor of, of any any later sport performance i don't i really don't know uh there's um i it could be it could be a good predictor actually a number of things like music abilities uh, musical abilities uh, uh, uh any kind of uh, uh, memory uh involving performance later um, yeah i don't i don't know uh, you you brought up sports you could be a but i wouldn't I wouldn't rely on selecting kids you know for different sports based on this as as yeah, but it I can see the perspective yeah it it's it's something it could be part of a much more complex uh test that could uh, could select you know future high performing sports uh, sportsmans and uh, yeah i don't know sandra if you have anything to add
3: (laughs) i think this time i don't have anything to add like the sport (laughs) was the very last thing on my mind when when writing this so yeah i agree that whatever is uh, memory capacity is related and probably the cultural effect or cultural inclination it would be relevant but as you said maybe it could be part of the battery so not just one single test because it's it's i think this general attitude of reducing many complex things just to reduce on a single test or a single approach is never a good one so always it's better to to imply multi-dimensional approach but sport i never thought (laughs) i'm sorry (laughs)
1: But it makes I'll sense. Talk. It's totally yeah, makes yeah, sense it, because sports is all about makes... timing and yeah. precise timing and action and coordinating with others too. Uh-huh. So it's yeah. it's 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 spot on. Uh, it's of something we we can look at. Yeah, it's a good idea. Of course,
3: and for me it was really very intriguing when Peter. Uh, mentioned this competition part and when you are uh, running or when you are racing and then you are also monitoring yourself but then you are taking uh, you are also looking for the others participants so it's kind of it reminded me on this egocentric and allocentric frame of reference so it's it's interesting
7: the, the legendary football player Johan Cruyff, he was known for being able to walk by some other world-class football players and 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 i knew that that he had that reputation and then i heard a quote for him or that where he said something in an interview that was absolutely brilliant because he said most other players need a meter a meter and a half, half within that circle around them they can control the ball i could wait until someone was between half a meter and a meter away from me before I needed to move because mm-hmm. he had such brilliant control. That also meant that he could see which foot they took forward and also knew that that, that limited where they could move next, which meant that if, he, if, he, if they had planted the, the right foot, they could not easily move to the right. So he could go pretty much walk by them on the right side. If they had planted the left foot, he could go around them on that side and they could do nothing apart from reach out with their arm and give him a free kick. So the the thing was that the skill level and the brain to actually know that I wait and see their move. And it's the same thing with martial art masters. They wait to see the opponent make a move and then they know all the things that the opponent cannot do and can take advantage of that and so forth so the skill level and the understanding what that means are tightly connected to each other as far as I can see and that also means that time slows down for them in a way because they, if that makes sense. Anyway, I hope I added yeah, do, something to the discussion. <laughs> yeah, do you think
0: that to test this in adults or like teenagers, you know, to pre screen, would it work maybe better to just have, let's say, 10 second clips? Would that kind of change them to like force people to use this internal type of? time perception and not the the clockwise one like if you if you shorten the time that you go back to basically your childhood assessment type yeah
1: that's that's a really good question too uh we you know we we only explored uh, explore the the minute range of time but uh, going down with a few seconds or expanding it to, to let's say, more than 10 minutes, like movies, we have the same kind of uh, movie, uh, we have the same experience in movie, movies, boring movies, you know, the same hour and a half feels completely different from a very action packed movie. So that's again, that's a completely different duration. Um, duration scale so going down to a few seconds it it would be really interesting question to look at if if something is changing there from let's say a four or five years old kids perspective uh just because changing the time scale i don't i i can't answer i don't know i would say valid questions Uh and it's it's really Mm -hmm. crying for continuing these these explorations these experiments
0: Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I think um, we've been discussing two hours, so I didn't want to yeah. overstretch your patience. Yeah. And uh, this was such an interesting discussion. It was really amazing and and really, you know, above expectation, interesting. And thank you, Peter, for adding the athletes part. And I hope you enjoyed it too. That was worth the trouble you know making the clubhouse account and coming here so i hope absolutely wonderful of course well of course it
1: thank was a you pleasure. so much yeah yeah thank you so much it's, it's a really great experience because we are this is the first time we are really opening this topic to the to the broad audience and uh, you can tell we get so many different angles that uh yeah it's gonna take time to integrate all these thoughts and uh, and it will uh, certainly shape the next few experiments to get all these feedbacks so thank you very much I, i really appreciate everybody's feedback
0: well that's so wonderful to hear and um yeah thank you everyone for coming and asking questions and yeah i hope maybe you know once you have more <laughs> more we can we can meet again that would be really fantastic absolutely so...
1: i would be thrilled <laughs> okay. and thank you so much this seems like it was such a wonderful forum that you created here so i would be happy to join
0: wonderful that's okay
3: thank you everyone okay. thank you sandra um, Yo. katerina uh-huh. Yeah, I just wanted to thank you, thanks everyone for coming, of course it was very useful for us and thank you for sharing many of your interesting and intriguing ideas, so I believe we now have a lot of lot of work to do for our homework, but indeed it will approve uh, our work, so thank you very much for this opportunity and we enjoyed and hopefully see you another, during some another event. Yeah, I just want to
1: reinforce that we have our email address is probably available, but feel free to shoot uh, something in the chat and I will check it out and uh, just connect with us. Uh, I mean, our email address is public. Uh, Feel free to ask your questions in uh, private email or personal.
6: It's fine.
0: Well, great. Thank you so much. And, yeah, uh, Akhil... Yeah, I
6: just wanted to say thank you in their languages, like, kosanam sepen and huala. (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> no, <actually> okay. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> for, oh my god <laughs> for others Aqil, uh, where
3: are you
6: from?
1: said said uh hungarian uh, yeah
6: i have a last name i know it's interesting but i i've been to uh serbia and hungary both i've, I've been to like niche and yeah. uh-huh. uh, I've, uh-huh. I've been to places uh-huh. <laughs>
3: That's so cool, and your okay. pronunciation—it's great, I have to say, yeah. for a Serbian part or Croatian. Say, like, I mean, it's almost the same language.
6: Yeah, I know how to say like nice things about Serbia, like Serbia <laughs> puna, I can say the same thing about Hungary, <laughs> like Magyarország <laughs> egy nagyon ország. You know, like it's like the same thing that I memorize for different countries. <laughs> okay. okay. Spe- great.
1: Speaking of speaking of beauty, you guys have no idea. With the 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 small town where where Sandra is from, or she's yeah. working, Mostar, in Croatia is <laughs> just the most enchanting city. You should Google it, and you will see it with your eyes. It's a fairy well, Mostar
5: tale. is in Bosnia,
6: right? I've been to Mostar. yeah. The it's starting, yeah. Yeah, it's uh-huh. just beautiful. Most of that is actually
3: in the south of, of the country, but I live near the border area. So basically, I hold uh, nationality of both countries. So wow. I'm both Bosnian and Croatian. And you know, the, the language is pretty much the same, uh, Serbian, Mon- Montenegro, or whatever. So we all can understand each other, of course. Just the dialect is very different. But maybe this is also a good opportunity to to invite you all. There is a great conference in Dubrovnik. It's called Dukok or Dubrovnik. Conference on cognitive science, so it's happening once uh, per year, so every every year in May, I think. So if you are, if you happen to find yourself there, just give shoot me a message or something like that. I would I would be happy to meet.
0: Naya's asking, what's the enchanting town's
3: name again? Aha, Mostar. Uh, Mostar, but of course you have Dubrovnik, you have Split, and those are coastal cities, and it's they are so beautiful. So yeah, I, I advise you to travel beautiful. to travel through this southeastern part of Europe. Yeah, Mostar. it's really beautiful. But the climate in
6: in Mostar like changes so drastically. Like in the morning it was like super cold, and in the evening it was like in the afternoon it was really hot. I've yeah, been to Mostar. No.
3: Um, Now, like during the springtime, we can have those kind of uh, changes, but usually it's very hot and over the summer it can easily reach like 40 degrees. So many tourists, when they come, they are shocked, so uh, you should be prepared. And when I was younger, I traveled a lot and I even went to, to Egypt and to India and all of the my friends, they were asking me, oh my God, it's so hot. How you are going to survive? I was like, come on, <laughs> like here it's just 40 degrees. So it's, it doesn't make any difference. So it's just, it's super hot. Be prepared. And rarely we have a snow, but yeah, you are all invited to, to come. And of course, Budapest, I believe it's one of the most beautiful cities in, in Europe and I enjoyed living there. So just come over.
0: Yep. I agree. (laughs)
3: Guzartan, did
2: you want to?
1: Yeah. Thank you. Well, I cannot really uh, finish with nicer words that, yeah, uh, Sandra said. uh, You're welcome. I still think that Mostar is more beautiful than Budapest, <laughs> be exchange- but we can argue on that. <laughs> we can okay. from that.
2: Well,
0: thank you for sharing that uh, and Akil for saying, you know, starting this uh, wonderful ending, which, um, yeah, so um, thank you so much. Maybe we'll see it all each other in this beautiful settings and uh yeah I hope to hear you all soon again. So uh, I'll close the room now in three, two, three,
6: two one
1: two
2: bye. bye. Thank you. It's my pleasure <laughs> being here. Goodbye.